COVID-19 has been a game changer in this world. With that being said, if you're looking into learning computer programming, there are certain languages you may want to learn right now. We discuss this today on Joey's Totally Tech. Why should you learn computer programming? As you may or may not know, I'm a freelance web developer, and I also have an interest in other programming languages. When I was in middle school, I learned DOS batch programming on my first computer, a PC Partner XL with a 386SX processor, 1 megabyte of RAM, and a 40 megabyte hard drive with a 3.5 inch floppy drive and a five and a quarter inch floppy drive. I later went on to learn BASIC, Pascal, which honestly, though not used much today, happens to be my favorite language, and ultimately HTML, JavaScript, Visual Basic, etc. In my opinion, everyone should learn some sort of programming language. That doesn't mean you have to be a programmer by any means. But it's my opinion that learning a little bit of programming really teaches you how to think through things. You have to think about things process by process, step by step, and give a machine code to do all of those things. You really have to think about every individual step in the process. And even if you don't want to become a programmer, I do believe that it helps you to think through things much more thoroughly. With that being said, some of you listening to this may want to do programming as a career. If that's the case, today's episode is for you. Warning, the rest of this episode up until the news segment is intended for people who already have some programming knowledge, as well as people wanting to learn programming. There may be some terms and concepts that I will not be able to fully discuss, if at all. And even for the novice programmer or the curious, you may not understand everything, and that's understandable. Swift. Swift is a programming language made for building iOS and Mac OS applications. Launching at Apple's 2014 edition of the Worldwide Developers Conference, it has become more robust every year. Though the language was created for Apple's operating systems, the language is now available on Linux-based systems, as well as ZOS, which is IBM's operating system for its mainframes. It's built with the open source LLVM compiler framework 
and is included with Xcode since version 6. Apple intended for Swift to support many of the core concepts of Objective-C, the previous language which was popular for Apple products. These concepts include dynamic dispatch, widespread late binding, and extensible programming. But they wanted to do these things in a safer way and also wanted to make it easier to catch bugs. The language also supports protocol extensibility, which is an extensibility system that can be applied to types, structs, and classes. Apple promotes this as a real change in programming paradigms and terms this as a, quote, protocol-oriented programming language. Apple's iPhone and iPad are popular platforms that will not be disappearing anytime soon, and Apple has a steady fan base. Though I'm not particularly an Apple fan, I give them credit here and there, and I actually have an iPhone, and quite frankly, I prefer the experience over Android if I'm honest. Learning Swift is going to give you a great audience if you put out mobile apps, especially anything exclusive for our iPhone, because there's some big Apple fanboys out there. But with the other systems now supported, you're not so limited. In fact, being a Linux user on PC, I think I'm going to download Xcode and learn Swift myself. Apple, along with Google, are working together to add contact tracing to the iPhones and Android phones to help slow the spread of COVID-19, so it's entirely possible that learning Swift, you could end up assisting Apple or another development company that wants to help slow the spread. Regardless, with Apple's products being one of the main platforms, Swift will be in huge demand, regardless of a pandemic. Named after Kotlin Island, near St. Petersburg, Russia, this language is more geared towards Android and was named the quote, first class language and even the preferred language for developing for that operating system. However, this has not become a popular language as of yet, but Dice.com believes this language is positioned as a possible Java replacement. The language is designed to interoperate fully with Java, and the JVM version of its standard library actually depends on the Java class library. This type interface allows its syntax to be more concise than Java, however. Though Kotlin mainly targets the JVM, it can also compile to JavaScript or machine code. Android Studio 3.0 and OWN have included Kotlin as an alternative to Java. The language was developed by JetBrains and was unveiled in 2011 after being under development for a year. One of the stated goals was to compile as quickly as Java. The language is open sourced under the Apache 2 license. Things to note about the design of the language, semicolons are optional as statement terminators, as in most cases a new line is sufficient for the compiler to understand that the statement has ended. Variable declarations and parameter lists have the data type come after the variable name, similar to Pascal and TypeScript. 
In addition to the object-oriented programming, Kotlin also supports procedural programming with the use of functions. Though the language has not yet caught on, it might be good to learn this one as Google has made this the preferred language for Android. Google themselves may desire Kotlin developers and that company would be a fantastic place to get in the door. Python. Python is an interpreted language that was conceived in the late 1980s as a successor to the ABC language and released in 1991, but has really increased in popularity in the last decade, particularly with the Raspberry Pi small board computers. The language is popular with certain niches, such as data science, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. The philosophy of the language emphasizes code readability, as it strictly uses white space in its syntax. If you don't indent properly, your program won't work, so it forces you to have clean code. There are 19 guiding principles for writing programs that influence the design. This is known as the Zen of Python. The principles are, Beautiful is better than ugly. Explicit is better than implicit. Simple is better than complex. Complex is better than complicated. Flat is better than nested. Sparse is better than dense. Readability counts. Special cases aren't special enough to break the rules, although practicality beats purity. Errors should never pass silently unless explicitly silenced. In the face of ambiguity, refuse the temptation to guess. There should be one, and preferably only one, obvious way to do it. Although that way may not be obvious at first unless you're Dutch. Now is better than ever. Although never is often better than right now. If the implementation is hard to explain, it's a bad idea. If the implementation is easy to explain, it may be a good idea. Namespaces are one honking great idea. Let's do more of those. The language is dynamically typed and garbage collected and supports multiple programming paradigms such as structured, object-oriented, and functional programming. It's described as a, quote, batteries included language because of its standard library. Interpreters are available for all mainstream operating systems including Windows, Mac OS, and Linux-based systems. The language is designed to be highly extensible, so not all of the functionality is built into its core. The modularity has made it popular as a means of adding programmable interfaces to existing applications. Python's developers also have a goal of keeping the language fun to use. It's meant to be reflected in the name too, as the name is a tribute to the British comedy group Monty Python. Many of the tutorials for Python have Monty Python comedy sketch references too. 
The language will probably be particularly important with COVID-19, as AI will probably be needed to predict future outbreaks of this virus, as well as any future outbreaks of diseases. JavaScript. As a web developer, JavaScript is a language I'm particularly familiar with. And by the way, I say you should learn JavaScript, but you should also learn JavaScript frameworks like Angular, React, Vue, Node, etc. On a regular website, plain JavaScript might get you by, but you need to learn the frameworks to do real applications. It also helps to devote time to TypeScript, which is a superset of JavaScript, which has had a recent boost in popularity. TypeScript has the ability to intermingle with a large existing code base in JavaScript, as well as make the resulting code safer. JavaScript is one of the core technologies of the World Wide Web today, and will continue to be used there. It was originally only used in web browsers, but now it's also embedded in server-side deployments, usually via Node.js. JavaScript is also used in frameworks such as Electron, which allows you to make desktop applications with the language, as well as Cordova, which allows you to make mobile apps. Now, one might think that JavaScript is a subset of Java. It's not. There are similarities between the two languages, but they differ greatly in design. I'm not going to get too much into the history of JavaScript here. There's too much to go through. But this is a language that has really matured and changed over the years into something you can make a full-blown application with. Some criticisms, however, is that the code is slower than code that has been compiled into machine language. That is true, but on modern systems, you may not notice the difference if it's done correctly. Web technologies such as JavaScript are going to be needed as we're tracking COVID-19 around the world. Web apps will need to be created, and you can be part of that by knowing JavaScript and the needed frameworks. telling you to go anywhere. Well, actually, I am telling you to go and learn Go, also known as Golang. This is a language that most developers planned on learning next, according to HackerRank's 2020 Developer Skills Report, and it was created by Google. The language is syntactically similar to C, but has memory safety, garbage collecting, structural typing, and CSP-style concurrency. The language was designed at Google in 2007 to improve programming productivity in a multi-core network era with large code bases. The designers were primarily motivated by their dislike of C++. 
The language was publicly announced in 2009, and version 1.0 was released in 2012. The language is used in production at Google, as well as many other organizations in open source projects. Right now, the GoLang team is calling on the Go community to invest time into organizations that are combating the pandemic, such as COVID-19 Open Source Help Desk and the U.S. Digital Response. This is mainly volunteer help, but will surely look good on a resume to show that you contributed code to these causes. Of New Jersey, in particular, is desperately in need of programmers of this legacy programming language. The language was heavily used in the state's 40-year-old-plus unemployment insurance systems, which are overwhelmed due to COVID-19-related job loss. The language itself is over 60 years old. It was used commonly in both business and government. By the 1980s, however, it was largely obsolete, and many universities weren't even including the language in their computer science curriculum. Even though there are COBOL-based systems still in use, few developers under the age of 50 have even looked at the language. The majority of people who know COBOL now are likely well over 60 years old. An age that's significantly at higher risk of death or severe symptoms of COVID-19. Not to mention they might be a bit rusty after not using the language for a while. The last time there was a demand for COBOL was in the late 1990s, as the year 2000 approached. COBOL programmers were being hired to fix code to make systems Y2K compliant. Since then, COBOL has not been an in-demand language. They'll need the COBOL programmers for now. Should you choose to learn this language, however, I would highly recommend learning something more modern as well, like one of the languages I've already mentioned. This is because the state of New Jersey wants to eventually replace the COBOL-based systems. These systems need to be replaced because of lack of reliability and security over time. Not to mention that eventually. There may be no more COBOL programmers left to program these machines. Now is the time to start learning. Now is the time to start learning these languages while we're on lockdown. You've likely got the time, unless you're already working an essential job, and even then, you could still likely find time to learn these skills. Each of the languages are useful skills right now. Most will also be used beyond this epidemic, COBOL being the likely exception. But still, COBOL wouldn't be bad to learn. 
Pascal helped me learn a lot of programming concepts, yet it's considered a pretty dead programming language by many. So still, if you're up to it, learn COBOL along with something newer too. I highly recommend JavaScript myself, and Swift and Kotlin would be great languages to get into as well. It's time to get on it and start learning these if you haven't already. Use this as your opportunity and take time to learn these languages today. Yes, it sucks we're in lockdown, but make the most of it. If you really want to learn programming, you won't be bored doing this. You'll find plenty of projects to work on and be able to build up a great portfolio of projects when you go hunting for those programming jobs. Hey everyone, it's Joey, and I'm recording this for my iPhone 6S. Have you heard about the Anchor app yet? If not, let me explain. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm recording from my phone right now. I normally use my professional microphone at home to record, but hey, I'm showing that you can do this on the phone too. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast. There's no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app in the Apple App Store or Android's Google Play Store today to get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So you all know COVID-19 has been wreaking havoc around the world, and it's easy to feel powerless. But there is something you can do. It's called Folding at Home. You can donate your PC's processing power to help fight infectious diseases such as COVID-19 by connecting up to their distributed supercomputer. You can use Windows, Mac, or Linux-based systems. You can download Folding at Home at foldingathome.org. Again, that's foldingathome.org. And we have a folding team set up as well. It's called Joey's Totally Folding. If you set up your computer for folding at home and want to join the team, go into Configure in the app, go to the Identity tab, and put in the team member number, 261660 and set up your name and passkey. And then you can start folding with Joey's Totally Folding on the Folding at Home app. And remember, stay safe out there, practice social distancing, and abide by your state or country's orders regarding COVID-19 for your own safety and the safety of others.
Hey everyone, this once again is Joey Cagle. And I'm Lisa Irving. And we've got a bit of tech news this week, as always. Concerns are being raised about Apple's and Google's contact tracing feature. Minecraft gets RTX ray tracing. MSI is about to take their NVIDIA RTX 2080 Ti to another level with higher speed memory. Approval by China has been given for NVIDIA to buy Mellanox Technologies. Google has been developing its own processor. AMD's Ryzen APU is closing in on one of NVIDIA's mobile graphics cards. AMD's fix for Ryzen chipsets is causing new problems. The Nintendo Switch shortage can be partially blamed on bots. And PlayStation 5s may be a bit difficult to find when they're released. It's time for the news on Joey's Totally Tech. Concerns have been raised about COVID-19 contact tracing posing a privacy risk. Google and Apple announced recently that the two companies are building Bluetooth-based COVID-19 contact tracing into their operating systems. This has set off a firestorm of criticism. Apple and Google say that next month they'll add new features to their mobile operating systems to make it possible for certain approved apps run by government health agencies to use Bluetooth radios to track the physical proximity between phones. And if you come close enough to someone who is later diagnosed, you'll be notified. It's a Bluetooth-only system, and it's fully opt-in and collects no location data from the users, and no data sent from anyone who doesn't have a positive COVID-19 diagnosis. But security and privacy-focused technologists have pointed up to a long list of potential flaws in the system, including techniques that could reveal identities of those who test positive, or to help advertisers track them. There can also be false positives from trolls, mistaken diagnoses, and faulty signals between phones. These imperfections could drive users away from adopting it, and it could also result in unintended privacy violations. Of course, any effective contact tracing will require testing for COVID-19 to ramp up far past current levels for the feature to really be useful. And unfortunately, those who are most at risk are less likely to have smartphones to begin with. Minecraft gets RTX ray tracing and it looks like a whole different game. The blocky game where you just build random things has just received RTX support for NVIDIA RTX graphics cards, and now the game has more realistic lighting, reflections, and shadows. Ray tracing mods have been made before for Minecraft, but now the game can take advantage of the RTX hardware if you've got it. This version of Minecraft is out in beta now. The downside is that ray tracing is still very power hungry, and for most gamers it's unrealistic. Minecraft will take a hit in its frame rate even on decent hardware with RTX enabled. But you'll get better results when turning on NVIDIA's DLSS technology, as the AI powered rendering makes it easier to deliver higher quality results from lower resolution images. And after seeing the footage of it myself, I'm pretty impressed with it. 
And I think it proves we're getting to the point where ray tracing hardware should be becoming mainstream. I've played Minecraft a bit, and I've got to say the beta version in RTX mode looks really amazing for Minecraft. Of course, with the consoles also getting hardware ray tracing with their AMD GPUs, I think that further proves ray tracing will be the norm in the very near future. A new MSI RTX 2080 Ti is getting 16 gigabits per second memory. The most powerful graphics card in the NVIDIA GeForce lineup, the RTX 2080 Ti, is getting an additional boost from its partner card manufacturer, MSI. They will be the first ones to put in 16 gigabit per second memory into the cards, and it will be on the RTX 2080 Ti Gaming Z Trio card. MSI says the Switch will give a 5% performance increase over the otherwise identical 14 gigabit per second RTX 2080 Ti Gaming X Trio. Both are identical in every way other than the memory speed. And it's possible it could be enough of a boost to see the card outperform NVIDIA's Titan RTX card, a card built for AI and deep learning. The Titan RTX, after all, is essentially an RTX 2080 Ti with some extras like full TU-102's 4608 CUDA cores, 1770 MHz boost clock, and 24 gigabytes of 14 gigabit per second GDDR6 memory. NVIDIA approved to buy Mellanox Technologies. Chinese regulators have approved NVIDIA for buying the Israeli-based Mellanox Technologies. They received the approval on April 16th, more than a year after the proposed deal was formally announced. China was the final hurdle that NVIDIA needed to clear for the purchase, as U.S. antitrust laws have expired and the European Commission has already cleared the way for this. NVIDIA, as many of you know, is a leader in graphics cards used for gaming as well as artificial intelligence and machine learning. Mellanox builds data center hardware as well as the software that manages it. NVIDIA is paying $6.9 billion to buy out Mellanox. NVIDIA expects the deal to be finalized on or before April 27th. Google has been developing its own chip for its Pixels and Chromebooks. The company has made significant progress in creating its own processor to power its Pixel and Chromebook devices. It's expected to show up in Pixel devices first. This move is expected to help Google better compete with Apple, which has started designing their own chips as of late. Qualcomm currently supplies processors for most of Google's phones, including the Pixel. The new chip is codenamed Whitechapel and designed in cooperation with Samsung. Samsung's 5 nanometer manufacturing technology would be used. The chip is also optimized for Google's machine learning technology. A portion of the chip is dedicated to the, quote, always own capabilities of Google Assistant. A bit of good news and a bit of bad news for AMD. First, the good news. AMD's Ryzen 4800U APU is coming close to NVIDIA's GeForce MX250 laptop GPU in performance. 
A Weibo user has reportedly tested the new Ryzen 7 4800U's iGPU and results are better than expected. The APU relies on the Vega GPU microarchitecture for graphics. The APU uses TSMC's cutting-edge 7 nanometer FinFET manufacturing process. Benchmarks are surprisingly close when compared to an Intel Core i5-10210U paired with an NVIDIA GeForce MX250 mobile graphics card. The APU scored 1,159 points in TimeSpy, beating out the Intel-NVIDIA combo, which had 1,130 points. It scored a little lower in Firestrike and in Gaming. It was just at or under the frame rate of the MX250 and Counter-Strike Global Offense, League of Legends, and Assassin's Creed Odyssey. But of course, NVIDIA is preparing for their next set of MX graphics cards for mobile devices, and it's rumored they're bringing a significant upgrade. And now, the bad news. AMD's fix for Ryzen chipset issues are causing new problems. There were problems with the Ryzen chipset driver recently, and the company has released a fix. However, the fix has caused new problems for some. The driver for the A320 series up to the X570 series motherboards, as well as Threadripper X399 and TRX40 motherboards, was released in mid-March. Some users described the problems on Reddit where the installation would get stuck at 0% on the progress bar. In some cases, the driver would seemingly successfully install, but possibly not completely. Another update was released which cures the installer hanging, however, people are experiencing incorrect operating voltages and increased power consumption. Some issues are also being caused with Ryzen Master. AMD is investigating the issue after Computerbase flagged it to the company. They have asked for affected users to send log files which will be anonymously analyzed to help with the efforts to pin down a fix. If you're a Ryzen PC user right now and it's running fine, just hold off on updating your chipset driver until the results of AMD's investigation are in. The Nintendo Switch shortage can partially be blamed on resellers using bots. During the COVID-19 pandemic, there has been a shortage of Nintendo Switch systems as there has been more of a demand because of the virus, as well as the Animal Crossing release. But there's also another culprit, resellers using software bots. An easy-to-use bot called BirdBot, which is open source and totally free, has been used to buy up items from online stores the second they are back in. And this includes items such as the Nintendo Switch. The creator of the bot originally built it to buy sneakers, but it has become the backbone behind a growing community of resellers who use it to grab hundreds of Switch consoles the moment they're back in stock. The community has even set up a Discord server where they share tips as well as photos of their haul. Resellers have been flipping the Switch consoles for $500 or more, with Animal Crossing themed consoles selling it for more than $700. A Switch is supposed to cost $300 to $350, depending on the bundle and the store. And Sony is going to make fewer PlayStation 5s. 
Sony will only make five to six million PlayStation 5s in the console's first two quarters upon release, according to Bloomberg News. This is because the company is grappling with the price and the availability of components. That's short the 7.5 million PS4 systems that Sony sold from November 2013 to March 2014. Sony's manufacturing partners were recently informed by Sony of the figure, which isn't influenced by the COVID-19 pandemic, believe it or not. Sony has been looking at releasing the system for $499 to $549. The parts inside the machine are rather expensive, and Sony has been characterized as, quote, struggling with the price announcement. The PlayStation 4 was launched at $399, and the base model is now at $299. The PS4 Pro, which was launched in 2016, was also at $399. In 2006, Sony launched the PlayStation 3 at $499, with the higher-end configuration at $599, and the price was widely mocked by the public and blamed for the slow sales. At this point, COVID-19 is only affecting Sony's promotional plans for the PS5, but it could also affect the production orders. Bloomberg sources said that Sony would delay the PS5's launch only if Microsoft did the same for its Xbox Series X, also expected to hit stores in the holiday season. And that has been the news, and this has been Joey's Totally Tech. Stay safe out there, my friends, and I will catch you next time.